afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt, director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Good afternoon and welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity. As we begin this day and our time of listening and talking together, I'd like to call in the ancestor spirits, those of everyone who is listening, those of our guests today, Martin Brennan and my own. We call in all that is good and true and beautiful in our ancestral line and we ask them to inspire us today to ask what we need to know and to hear what we need to hear and to speak what needs to be spoken. We call out to the energy of the earth to be strong below us, to be wise below us, and to help us to draw on the wisdom of manifestation that we know how to live together here in a good way. We call on the energy of the sky above to bring to us today in our conversation blessings and generosity, that we might know the benevolence of our existence here and that we might be protected in all that we do. And finally, we call out to the energy of the heart. We call out to the heart with its power to unite the passions of the body with the clarity of the mind, and to create the ability within each one of us to manifest our soul's true purpose. Welcome everyone today. Our topic today is healing our ancestral lines. Throughout shamanic cultures worldwide, there exists a deep respect and understanding of our connectedness and indebtedness to our ancestors. It is the duty of the living to live in such a way that brings healing to our ancestral lines. These are the words of our guest today, Martin Brennan. Martin, welcome. Thank you, Christina. Pleasure to be with you and pleasure to be with your readers today. Thank you for joining us today. Um, So our topic today is healing the ancestral lines. Yes, it's a a fascinating topic, I feel, and uh, I'm looking forward to being able to explore it with you. So why don't we create some context first for the listeners? this, the idea of ancestors is certainly common cross-culturally, across shamanic cultures and, frankly, indigenous cultures of all kinds. Generally speaking, though, the ancestors are simply referred to as the ancestors are all my relations, and the idea is that the ancestors as a whole are a good thing and that they bring us assistance and guidance. My my experience then as a shamanic practitioner, especially in the early years of my practice, was that I would see these these early onset manifestation of old age illnesses in people. And I mean like rheumatoid arthritis in 20-year-olds, things like that, truly old age illnesses in very, very young people. And as I journeyed to ask um, what the true, what the diagnosis was, what was going on, what was the problem, what was the source of the problem, I was told the ancestors. And this was very confusing to me because in my traditional shamanic training, the ancestors are always perceived of as a good thing. And so I didn't understand how they could be the source of the problem. And so as I explored this um, in the in the service of these clients, what I came to understand is that just because you're dead doesn't mean you're an ancestor. And so what I mean by that is that when we die, there is a journey that our spirit that's now freed from the body needs to make. And from a shamanic perspective, that journey is the journey from the land of the living to the land of the dead. And that there are many reasons in 
either the circumstances of a person's death or simply the way a person lived. If they are very unresolved with life, they um, have many reasons to stay attached here to the physical world, a person may not actually leave on that journey. They will certainly die, but they do not necessarily leave on that journey. And one of the things that was consistent cross-culturally in shamanic funeral practices was much care and attention was paid to making sure that souls or the spirits of the dead crossed to the land of the dead and thus keeping the dead where the dead belong in the land of the dead and living where the living belong in the land of the living and that this was a way to maintain the well-being actually in both realms. Um, so I actually received a funny question already um, around this topic um, via email already from Daniel in um, Seattle. And Daniel's question is, how do I manage to become an ancestral helping spirit and avoid being a ghost? If I find myself dead but not crossed over, where do I go and how and who do I contact for help? <laughs> <laughs> Might as well start like, right off the bat, right? Well, ghost help hotline. So... <laughs> The way that we avoid being a ghost is that we live our life in a way that we avoid being stuck here. And so we live in a li our life in a way that we reconcile the conflicts of our life. We endeavor to um, not necessarily always create love, love and harmony, but to at least find a way to reconcile, to um, accept people as they are, accept people's differences, to be in a good way with diversity and to not live in a way that's attached to that which we can't change. All of these kinds of ideas, which are really at the core of all spiritual practices, but to live in a good way so that um, when we are done here in our life, we're actually done, which brings us to another thing we'll need to talk about as we go through this, this show here today, which is the most important thing that you're doing here in your life is that you're living your soul's purpose. And so another way to be sure that you die well is to start now living your soul's purpose so that you get done with that, so that when it comes time to leave, you've done what you came here to do. And it's not, and you don't try to figure out at the very last minutes of your life, why was I here, what was I supposed to do, and how do I do it in the last three seconds that I can breathe. I mean, it's a problem. So... So the way that you make sure that you can cross over and thus become available as a helping spirit to your descendants is that you live your life in a good way so that when you die, you can make that transit with your own helping spirits to the land of the dead and you don't get stuck here as a ghost by your own unresolved issues. So if a ghost were to find themselves stuck here and not crossed over, there are actually several different avenues to go, but the, the goal would be if you were stuck in the land of living and no longer had a body that gives you the reason to be here, that you would find a, a person or people who are capable of conducting what in shamanism we call psychopomp work or the ability to conduct the spirit of um, someone who is already dead from, the land, from, from wherever they're stuck in the land of the living over to the land of the dead. Now, there may be some issues in clearing the way for that individual, and that may be a show all in and of itself. But that basically the idea is you either need to live in a way so that the way is cleared, um, or you need to um, find help in clearing the way once you're dead, or your descendants need to find help for you once you're dead. So anyway, so... 
that so that's basically from a shamanic perspective what happens when we die. It's not a given that you go one place or another. That's very easy for people to get stuck here. And what happens in shamanic funeral practices is they make a point to make sure that a person's soul is gathered and and conveyed all the way to the land of the dead and gains entry there. And so what makes an ancestor a helping spirit is the fact that they have made it to the land of the living and they're able, once they've reconnected with the oneness of all things through the parts of the dying process human beings don't really have any contact with until they're dead, um, that they connect with the oneness of things again. And at that point, they're available to come back as an ancestral helping spirit. And the distinction here is very important because a ghost is not any smarter than they were as a human. And an ancestral helping spirit is is another connection we have to the source of all things. And so they, they carry not only the the legacy of the wisdom in their life, but perspective on it because now they're reconnected to the oneness. And so we would like ancestral helping spirits. We don't necessarily want to take our problems to ghosts because they're not necessarily any smarter than we are. And so we don't want to treat them with the difference we would treat um, a normal helping spirit. And the important thing about this I, I would like all of our listeners to understand is that this isn't any one particular group's fault, that we're not blaming or judging anyone. We're just trying to understand why certain problems are happening in our world today and why the helping spirits are guiding us to the ancestors to resolve that problem. And the way I see it in, in my own practice, and I do a fair amount of ancestral healing for people, is that... Um, that we we all have a, a great wealth of ancestral helping spirits already ready to help us at any moment. Um, what we what we need to look at is the ancestral energies that are stuck here in the land of the living, so that there are basically kind of two pools of energy that which we can draw on that can help us and brings us a rich legacy into our life, and that which is stuck here with us that's kind of like humanity's mess. And that humanity, it's, it's humanity's mess, not any particular group's mess. It's humanity's mess. Because we all go back to the same ancestors anyway. So it's humanity's mess and that we need to begin as um, humanity to clean up our mess. It's just like mom telling us it's time to clean our room. So that's, that's, from my perspective, basically the, the landscape that we're going to be talking about here this afternoon. Um, so an important thing to point out for those people that are tracking shamanic healing and things like that, I would call the ancestral healing that needs to be done today non-traditional shamanic healing. I think much of it actually requires shamanism because it requires ritual and ceremony. Um, but it is non-traditional because in traditional shamanic cultures, they would have made sure the ancestors crossed over in the first place to avoid this problem entirely. And so you're not really going to find training for this kind of ancestral clearing in a traditional shamanic training. But, I mean, we all should take a step back here as we're coming up on this break and think about it. Here in America... You know, we have a culture that is forged on huge patterns of slavery and um, racism and sexism and um, wiping out the indigenous population, a whole lot of things that is, is part of our collective history. And many of these energies are, are somewhat stuck here with us, which is partly why we keep repeating the patterns. 
And so this is the reason that ancestral healing can be such an enormous relief because any amount of ancestral healing, since it's humanity's healing, not only affects us directly in our lineage and clears the way for our descendants to live differently, but it, it clears the field in a sense. It contributes to the field of ancestral energies lightening and, and moving towards a state of, of well-being and reconciliation. So we're coming up on our, our break for our first section here, and I just want to encourage everyone that though we were taped last week, we're live this week, and you're welcome to call in. The number to call in is 866-472-5795, or you can email at christina at lastmaskcenter.org, and you're welcome to pose a question either to myself or to Martin. And we thank you for joining us here today, and I have a deep debt of gratitude to Martin for joining us as well. Thank you all. Welcome back. Now, some of you may be wondering as I'm talking away why I have Martin on the show. Well, I've invited Martin uh, to, to be with us here on the show because of all of my colleagues and students. He has probably the most vital and broad, active, and alive relationship with his ancestors as helping spirits. And so I've invited Martin here today to talk to us first about the things that he has done, both in ordinary reality and in the spirit world, to create this relationship with his ancestral helping spirits. Well, thank you, Christina. I think you, you laid the groundwork very well in that first segment uh, to explain what happens upon death and how we, we have this bank of ancestors that are just waiting for us to, to connect with them, waiting for us to, to ask their help. And I was fortunate enough that in my early 30s, found the ancestors really calling to me. Um, and it was unique because I wasn't familiar with them and uh, they, they weren't my normal helping spirits that I had cultivated relationships with. It was something outside of the elements to have a relationship with. And so when I, when I felt this energy, this, these spirits coming to me, when I sat down with them and started to journey to them and started to speak with them, it came very clear that they were the ancestors, my ancestors, and that they wanted uh, a more deep and interactive relationship. So some of the things that you mentioned are very true. It brought me into doing things in the ordinary reality, such as um, becoming much more close with my family, researching my family history, finding the stories, going to visit relatives that were still living to hear the stories that they held. Well, now let's be clear. You were going to relatives that were here in the States, but you were also traveling to Ireland. I was. I was. And, and my, uh, my grandparents on my mother's side come from Ireland. My great-grandparents on my father's side come from Ireland. And interesting enough, they come from two very western counties in Ireland. So, yes, it involved not only work here, but a very strong call to the land of my ancestors. So trips back to Ireland, which brought me back to the homestead of both of my maternal grandparents uh, to spend time there. To here at that time, I still had great aunts and uncles there to sit with them and hear their stories. So that's very true. It brought me uh, over to Europe. Uh, it brought me up and down the East Coast, and it brought me to the West Coast of the United States. So, so you, so you're wandering around the globe, meeting all of your ancestors, your living relative, relations, we should say. Yes. And in doing this, eventually these dead ancestors, to not mince words too much, <laughs> These, the dead ancestors come and start saying, hey, you know, what about us? We're not chopped liver. You need to be working with us too? Yes. 
Very true. And, and they, they also guided me to, to go to Ireland to make sure I was spent time on land. Uh, and in that saying, hey, listen, we need attention too, it brought me to a, a better understanding of them and a better understanding of how to connect with them and to, to literally create an altar, an ancestral altar, where that was the gateway, that was the interface that I could have with them. And to really work with them, to hear how they wanted to be worked with, how they wanted to have a, have a working relationship, just as we have a relationship with anybody in this ordinary reality, from colleagues to family members, so too, I believe, spirit wants us to have a relationship with them. So give us an idea of what are a couple of the things, especially in the early days, that the ancestors asked you to do to work with them. They asked me to learn traditional Irish songs, sing to them. They asked me to bring offerings. Uh, sometimes it was uh, Irish Killarney bread or soda bread. Fam- those are breads that were cooked on special occasions and passed down from my grandmothers to my, my mother and my father. Um, it involved just simply spending time and talking to them. They were very clear to spend the day in the morning sharing with them what my day would like and to ask them for help in living it and be very clear to finish the day at the ancestral altar with sharing the trials and tribulations and the happenings of that day. Spend time not only talking about it, but just spend time listening, which would be simply with them sharing and, and having a place where we sat together. So give the listeners an idea of what kinds of items or power objects do you actually have on your ancestral altar? What makes it ancestral versus some other kind of stuff? That, that's an excellent question. Uh, it really was, was a learning process for me because in the beginning I had no, <laughs> no clue. <laughs> But they, they gave me a hint. They said, make it beautiful and otherworldly. And so I, I, I went from there. In the very beginning, it was simply a, a candle. Uh, they, they spoke of how the flame, that, that's, a, that's the element that they are going to communicate with me through, that the flame is, is how I can, I can speak with them. So it involved candles. Uh, the color red was important for the ancestors. And... I started to collect photographs. I went to my, my parents and, and relatives to collect photographs of those ancestors who have died, who have passed on, to bring them to the altar. It involved, when I went to Ireland, to bring back stones from the walls of the homes that my grandparents lived in, respectively, in their different counties. So you've got this great working altar. You're singing to them, you're feeding them, you're giving them drink, you're bringing them flowers, and then what happens? <laughs> well, it, it worked really well. In fact, it, it worked so well that they would, they would, um, I would go into altered states, not consciously, of of wanting to go there. Let's just put it that way. And what I what I realized is I at that time was living in a studio. And I had my ancestral altar up uh, close to where I was sleeping. And basically, since it was wide open and it was where I interfaced and where I was working every day, they took it as complete permission to just communicate with me whenever they so felt, which was pretty much all the time because they had a lot of things they needed to tell and some, a lot of things that were unresolved that you had spoken earlier about or hinted to. And uh, I found it quite troublesome until I actually got protocol to realize, okay, there needs to be um, a, 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 
I shouldn't say shield, but a veil, an enclosure of the ancestral altar. Well, one of the ways that some shamanic teachers talk about this is that the ancestors, because they lived here as humans, they lived in a home of some kind, and when we invite them to come back to work with us, they still expect a home. And if you don't give them a home, you know, four walls and a front door, then they assume your home is their home, and they just take over. <laughs> I, I can say that uh, I experienced that, much to my bewilderment at first and utter confusion. <laughs> so one of the interesting things that I've found with, uh, with students as we move into developing ancestral helping spirits and ancestral altars is all of the truly unique and creative ways that people have found a way to find enclosed space in their contemporary American homes and how to tend an altar. Um, one woman said it was a huge sacrifice because her apartment didn't have anywhere near enough closet space, but that she took out an entire portion of the linen closet mm-hmm. and turned the top half of the linen closet and took out the shelves and turned that whole top half of the linen closet into her ancestral altar <laughs> and just told the family that they needed to get the sheets out of the bottom half. <laughs> and people have... Um, put them in uh, drawers, they've put them, they've created boxes. I personally took the easy route and I just went to a furniture store in um, Ch- Chinese and Japanese furniture, w- cultures that actually have ancestral altar pieces of structures that are built for ancestral altars and I, I bought one there because it just simplified my life because I truly don't have enough closet space. Um, so if I remember correctly, at the time you were living in the studio, and since you didn't really want to stick your ancestors in the bathroom, if I remember correctly, you stuck them in a closet. I did. I did. They, they, they went in, in, in a closet and was able to uh, construct with, with wood uh, a, a home, as you say, for them that in, included a, a drape that would able to be put down. So they didn't take the entire closet. They did take a, a good segment of it, though, and uh, that helped immensely. I wish I had had the the knowledge of, uh, of being able to talk to you at that time to say, hey, listen, get it out of your living room or where you're staying and put it someplace in a Did home. Did they give you fashion tips? My answer They were in your closet? Of, of, around the, uh, the closet itself? Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I find they my said, like, don't wear those pants, that shirt? <laughs> Leave that. Don't wear that, son. Yes. <laughs> So we have just a couple minutes before the break, and we have a a lovely question coming in from Tatiana uh, in Baltimore. Mm -hmm. And she is asking that if one comes from a non-traditional practice, how can one know if his or her ancestors have not crossed over? Can you give us some understanding of how we can help? And this is a great question that will um, sort of uh, bridge us over into the next section because I think we do need to begin talking about how do we know that we have the ancestors on the not-crossed-over side of the fence. Um, mostly, if a human being simply asks from their heart for their, helping, their ancestral helping spirits to join them and truly comes from a place of um, sincerity in their heart and need and desire for that assistance, ancestral helping spirits will begin to come. Those are the ancestors who, of course, are, were able to cross over so I think what we need to talk about in the next section is to answer Tatiana's question is how do we begin to assist those ancestors who have not crossed over? Now, and let's all do the math here. 
if we can get them crossed over, they go into the other pool, which is they're then available ultimately to help us again as ancestral helping spirits. So the more ancestors we can clear out of the land of the living and get them over to the land of the dead, the more possibility we have for even more and more help from the ancestors. And so the work not only benefits the ancestors, it benefits us in bringing us more help and it benefits the descendants and then it clears patterns from their lives that they don't have to deal with. So thank you all for listening. Wonderful questions coming in. Welcome back. We have questions coming in from all over the place, so we're going to have to have Martin back to continue this conversation, I can tell. So what I'd like to do first is is to attend to Tatiana's question, and we'll kind of see where that goes, and then we'll um, talk to Michelle in Hawaii, but not quite yet. So the simplest way to, without any altered state capacity at all, to know that we have ancestors that aren't crossed over is to simply look at the patterns in our family. Is alcoholism being handed down? Is child abuse handed down? Is sexism, racism, any kinds of patterns that is less than loving behavior being handed down? Then we have unresolved ancestral issues. So that is the first simplest thing to look at. The second thing that is right here in ordinary reality is if we have um, unexplained issues around birth and fertility. In other words, the kind of situation where both Parties are completely capable of biologically of getting pregnant, but they're not, and they're practicing. In that case, there's possibly ancestral issues. Um, But also, early onset of what we would normally consider old age illnesses is possibly another sign of unresolved ancestral patterns. Um, You can always... go to a shamanic practitioner or someone who works or a reliable person who channels to ask if there are unresolved issues with your ancestors that are ready to heal. That is also an option. And for those of you that know how to journey, there's a very simple question you can ask when you're journeying. If you journey to meet ancestors, when you meet them, each individually you need to ask, what do you need? If they are ancestral helping spirits, they'll look at you like you're a nut because they're here to help you with your needs. They're not here with their own needs. Um, but if they are ghosts um, and you ask what you need, they'll start telling you. And so it's those, those ghosts that have needs that we're looking at wanting to clear out of the ancestral realm. So, Martin, before we forge ahead, I think we should take a couple of these calls. So um, let's um, find out what Michelle in Hawaii would like to ask. Hi, Christina. This is Rochelle. Oh, Rochelle, welcome. (laughs) How are you today? Great. And what's your question? My question is, is it possible for an ancestor to create disruption in a person's life? Absolutely. One of the things Martin didn't share in his story with the ancestral altar on the coffee table right in the middle of the room was not only was he moving in and out of altered states, but he was having really bad chronic back problems. And so there can be um, chronic health issues that arise. There can also be um, a, a moving us towards their un, unresolved lives instead of being clear about our own soul's purpose in our life. So we find ourselves sort of hijacked by the dreams of a dead ancestor um, that in a life, uh, an unlived life, essentially, of an ancestor. And, and we feel compelled to do things, and yet this isn't truly our dream. This isn't truly what we are wanting to do. So there are many, many ways that these unresolved energies of the ancestors disrupt our lives. Excellent. 
Thanks, Rochelle. Thank you. Um, Martin, we also have another call from Ava on Rhode Island, so let's take that question as well. Sure, sure. Uh, my question is, are crossed-over ancestral spirits always at peace, or might even crossed-over spirits express some agitation about an earthly situation, or is agitation an earmark of a spirit that is stuck? Well... I mean, the most common agitation of true ancestral helping spirits is that we're, we're lashing about in our life, thrashing around, asking for help, and they're here trying to help us and we won't listen. <laughs> That's the main irritation, really, frankly, of all helping spirits is that we, we're constantly crying out, we're constantly suffering, we're constantly going on and on and on, and the help is right here and we don't know how to listen or how to access it. And so there can be a bit of agitation on our um, ancestral line, especially if the issues that we are crying out about have to do with unresolved energies of the ancestors. I mean, ancestral helping spirits are particularly excellent at helping us deal with the unresolved issues of the other ancestors. Um, But generally speaking, they won't create um, harmful disruption. Um, like, you know, child abuse or something like that. Mm -hmm. They might just create an agitation in that they're here and they want us to listen. They want us to pay attention. They want us to open up the traditional ways of communication with the ancestors. And one of the things that we have to deal with um, as contemporary people is let's say that your ancestors are traditional Chinese, but somewhere along the way you converted to Christianity. Well, your traditional Chinese ancestors did not convert to Christianity. They're going to expect traditional Chinese offerings. And so that's one of the things we have to figure out how to deal with when we open up to connect to all this ancestral help is we may need to learn about practices that are not exactly part of our religious practices, but they are part of our ancestral practices. So thank you, Ava. Thank you. So, Martin... What about this ancestral healing? What are, what are the three most important things for you in your ancestral healing? Well, Christina, as I understand it and working with, with my ancestors, they, there's a couple points that they stressed. One was that we are, we are their dream. That, and, you, and you find many shamanic cultures literally speak in that language, that we are our ancestors' dream, both the good dream and the nightmare. Uh, the nightmare often comes from those lives that, were, that are unresolved that you spoke of earlier, that uh, they did not realize their soul's purpose, or that grievous uh, breaches were, with spirit were committed. Um, so we are, we are that dream uh, of our ancestors. We stand on their shoulders. And another thing that, to understand when we talk about healing the ancestors is from a shamanic point of view, time is circular which for many of us in the, in the Western, brought up in a Western context, that have a very linear understanding of time and go about our days with an understanding of the linearness of it, that is, that is a concept that, lin- that time is circular is sometimes, I know it's for me a hard thing to, to grasp, but it's important because when we talk about healing, it goes both forward and backward if we were on a linear line to our descendants and to our ancestors. And the third so, one, you... Martin, yep. before we go into the third one, it sounds to me from the way that you're talking, and this will answer another question that's come in via email, these are pretty complex ideas. So it sounds to me that for, for, in your experience with your ancestors, 
that you are sitting at that altar talking to them in English. Yes. That they're talking, they're speaking with you. Yes. Okay. Yes, so there is a combination of both talking um, and speaking and just sitting in silence and and waiting for a reply. There is, uh, I use journeying to go to my ancestors to ask questions, to hear what they have. Um, Those are the two main modes of of communication I've been able to cultivate. And how do you know that they're speaking with you when you're not paying attention to them? Like, how do they get your attention? (laughs) Usually it's by a two-by-four of light slamming against me. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> two-by-four. And I, and I go to, the, uh, to, the, to my altar and I say, okay, what was that all about? <laughs> okay. Um, now, I interrupted you, Martin. So what was the third thing you were talking about that you feel is the most important around the ancestral healing from your perspective? You've already mentioned it, Christina. It's, it's, it's noticing patterns. Mm-hmm. Noticing patterns. At one time in my uh, in my work with my ancestors, my ancestors literally had me put my entire family tree on the wall and start going through it and marking down where and who suffered from depression, who who were the ones that attempted suicide, who were successful with suicides. What were the patterns? Patterns of physical illness, patterns of death, and looking at it and when you spoke earlier about literally, um, you know, I had remembered waking up and not having any movement in my back. And I had gone to doctors, chiropractors, uh, muscle, uh, physical therapists. None of them could find what it was. And finally, well, I came to spirit, came to my ancestors and, say, and said, what is going on? And with the work with them, it came very clear. At that time, I was moving out, being more visible in the community with my beliefs of shamanism and working with public rituals, and I had a big public ritual that was scheduled in Oakland, California, and it was an ancestral issue of not being forefront, of not coming out into the public with that, with my understandings, with my beliefs, not being, being able to be identified with it. And, and it that was, in and of itself was an ancestral pattern as well? Yes, and literally was paralyzed. I mean, I the excruciating pain, and so it, it took working with that, and that uncovered another pattern that ended up looking to see how the men in the Brennan side of my family, so the father's side, going back, have not, have relinquished, have ignored, have consciously chosen not to pick up a spiritual power, a, a presence, a gift, that, as the ancestors told me, and with that, um, a refusal to to take that on, and instead put instead of loyalty to one's gift to one's soul's purpose, place that loyalty into serving the women that they married. So, Martin, I'd like to go further into this because I know this resulted in really a beautiful ritual to heal this, um, and we're coming up on a break. But I want to back up for a minute just for the listeners and clarify, as Martin was getting carried away there with being waking up one morning, being paralyzed, and not being able to to move that it was the unresolved energies of the ancestors that were still stuck in this idea that it's not safe for some reason to go out and express yourself in that way, um, that were paralyzing him, whereas there was a whole group of helping spirit ancestors over there in the closet in the altar cheering him on and guiding him in the very creation of that exact same ritual. And so it was really a time in your life where you were pretty much caught between the, the the huge encouragement of the ancestral helping spirits and all of these unresolved issues. Is that accurate? That is, yes. 
Macro summary. Great. Thanks. So we're moving. <laughs> it, this whole ancestral thing can get a little confusing, and I don't. I don't want people to be confused at the end of the day and be kept up all night. <laughs> so anyway, that, that wouldn't be good. We don't no. want that. So we're going into our break before our last section, and we're going to talk about you know some of the path here with this healing and. Um, we're still welcome here to take calls or to receive your emails, but most of all, we are deeply grateful that you're here um, talking with this um, really interesting contemporary healing topic today. Thank you. And we're back. Okay, so here we have Martin. He's actually um, in his Divinity School um, thesis project, actually. So he's right. got his helping spirit ancestors over here in the closet in their altar, and he's talking to them. They're helping him to craft this big community ritual. And um, on the other hand, the unresolved energies of the ancestors are saying, oh, no, don't do that. You're going to die if you do that, and, and literally paralyzing you periodically. Correct. Okay. And so you your ancestors and your soul's purpose prevail and the community ritual happens and it's fabulous, right? Yes. But, but in the meantime, you're left with this nagging question which is, um, how do I heal this? Very true. Um, and, and I'm, and I'm un- unraveling it. Well, you know, it, it, it wasn't so clear. I'm, trying, I'm, I'm working at the altar. I'm working with journeys. And at least for me in my work, and it just wasn't, oh yes, this is what it is. Boop. And so it's unraveling the symbolism of, of, being, of having the back frozen, of literally not being able to move, of that fear that is coming down. And it's realizing, oh, part of what I need to do to heal this is my own work. It involves a soul retrieval, all right? I need to get a soul retrieval. It involves different prayers at the ancestral altar to address this energy. And it ended up also meaning to craft and being guided to craft a large earth ritual that ended up involving myself, my father, going back to the land that we were born on, the very soil that we were born, which is Scranton, Pennsylvania, and having, asking help from a larger community of people to support us in an earth ritual. Okay, so you're, you're at Divinity School, you do your thesis project, and you're done. Okay, so then you, are, you ask for the soul retrieval, and when we do the soul retrieval, um, the the pattern gets clarified because you get a soul part back that is that is lost around this issue of believing as a man that it is it makes you a good man to subvert your true soul's purpose to simply be the man your woman wants you to be. Correct. Okay. And so part of the process not only of working with the ancestral healing of the ancestor energies, but it becomes literally your healing of your soul loss. Your The soul part is back, but how do you integrate that energy back into your life that is part of what's contributing to your creation of this earth ritual? Correct. So you, um, so um, as you go forward, so you ask people from the community to join you. Um, in this earth ritual that is going to be at your at the place of your birth and the place of your father's birth. So you've got people coming in here and in about 24 hours or 48 hours. You fly back to Scranton. You arrive at your home and... I won't forget this. Uh, I arrived, actually at the time, uh, my, my parents were living in Pittsburgh, so I arrived in the Pittsburgh. We're going to drive up to Scranton the next day. And I've shared a little bit with my dad. And I, he signed on. He knows this is about healing. This is about not only for myself, but I'm explaining 
that it, it's the larger context of, of our family. And I sit down with him, and by the time I'm in a late flight in, we sit down, we pour a shot of whiskey, and I say, Dad, we need to do an earth ritual. And this earth ritual is going to involve us being buried. We need to dig our own graves. Well, <laughs> remember him looking at me? He took the shot, poured himself another one, and said, all right, continue. Um, <laughs> Your dad is a good man. He is a good man. And I was really grateful for his trust. And uh, it involved us going to Scranton. It involved us, as it was explained to me, the earth said, all right, on the vibrational level that we are working with this energy, this, this is needed to go back to the land that your grandparents came to, your great-grandparents are all in that area up there to go through an earth ritual that you literally are bearing in Are The two of you are conscious that you are letting this pattern to rest. You are giving it back to the earth. You, this is an, is an instrumental part on stopping this energy. And at that time, my sister was due, uh, it was her first child, and in our work, it was very clear to us that my dad and I were doing this to stop the pattern from being passed down to my little nephew. And within, what was it, a week from the ritual? Within one week from the ritual, my sister gave birth, thankfully, to a healthy baby boy. And so the first male of the next generation of Brennan's is born, and because of the work you and your father were willing to do, he is free of the compulsion of these unresolved ancestral energies. And those ancestors are free to cross over and to be available to him, to you, to your father, to whomever, as ancestral helping spirits. Correct. Good. Good work, Martin. So we're we're coming to the end of our show here today, which I can't believe we're already done. It goes um, too fast. <laughs> I just wanted to we say... We just started it on the roll. I know, very quickly, <laughs> that... I do ancestral healing with people in one-on-one healing sessions. So if you have absolutely no shamanic skills, you can still re- get ancestral healing for your ancestors. It is one of the um, kinds of healing that I do one-on-one with people. It is also one of the kinds of shamanic healing that I can do long distance. We talked about this in the shamanic healing session, uh, uh, shamanic healing show. But it is one of the types of shamanic healing I can do long distance. And if you would like that, you simply... Email us at assistance at lastmasscenter.org, and we're happy to hook you up with a session. If you actually know how to journey, I can work with people to begin to use journeying to cultivate a relationship with their ancestral helping spirits that will support them in beginning to deal with the energies they're discovering from the unresolved energy of the ancestors, very much as Martin has just described. And then the big ticket item that, that I offer is that I offer a workshop in which we people with significant shamanic skills go into their ancestral line and go back to the source. They go back many, many, many generations to the source of the problems that are in the way of them living their soul's purpose in their lives. So they go back to the source of those ancestors who are blocking their path forward, and they go all the way back to the source of those issues and resolve it in the life of the originating ancestor, the ancestor that originated the pattern, and thus clear all of the ancestors that are stuck here in the land of the living because they've repeated that same pattern of that original ancestor. So that is the most thorough act of ancestral healing that that I am aware of in terms of what I offer with clients and students. It also requires the most skill on the part of the people doing the work 
because the critical cultivation in ancestral healing is the ability to bear fair witness, mm. to witness those who have harmed and those who are harmed with the same compassion. And with that thought, we're done today, and we hardly even have time to give thanks to the ancestors, the earth, the sky, and the heart that unites us all. Let us recognize that ancestral healing is humanity's problem, not yours or mine, but ours. And let's remember that next week we have Lenore Norgard talking about ritual and activism. And the week after that, the 25th, Ed Tick will be talking a very important show about veterans and bringing shamanic healing in to help them deal with their PTSD in coming back from war. So thank you all. Thank you, Martin. Thanks to your ancestors. Thank you. And thank you, everyone, for today's show.